Thanks, Tim. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, so it'd be great if you keep that uh, part of your Bible open. We're going to be digging into that uh, this morning. Uh, it's really great uh, together, and uh, we're going to be, I guess, thinking about, uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, Jesus saves the next week of our foundation series. But how would I pray for us that God would help us? Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word. We pray now that you'd uh, open our hearts, our ears, and our lives to receive it and to respond in faith and repentance. May we see the great news that Jesus saves. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Is there a bit of an echo or something going on? No, it's just me. Voices in my head. That's all right. Um, Well, have you... Have you ever misjudged someone? Uh, this week I read a story about a, a father and a daughter who uh, they went to the, the Royal Windsor Horse Show in London for the daughter's eighth birthday. Uh, and uh, it was a splendid affair. The, the father and the daughter, they, they spent the morning looking around at all these different classes of horses, all these various stables, you know, saw the horses strutting and doing all these amazing stuff. The, the daughter, she was in horse heaven. Right, and uh, but in the midst of you know, look all this uh, fanfare and looking at horses, uh, this, uh, the father spotted uh, one stable seemed to have a lot of attention, uh, and you know it had really drawn a crowd. So they wandered over, uh, and uh, immediately the, the father spotted at the front uh, of, of the crowd was the queen. Uh, the queen was standing there with Prince Andrew and Princess Anne. Uh, and it just so happened that this stable, uh, belong- the, in this stable was a horse that belonged to the queen. Uh, but, you know, they weren't dressed in, you know, kind of royal clothes. They were just dressed in some overcoats, some Wellington boots, and the, the queen was wearing a headscarf. But, you know, the, the father, not wanting to miss an opportunity, said to his daughter, can you just, you know, move a little bit closer and uh, I'll, I'll get a picture of you with the queen, you know, pointing over there. There she is. Uh, but this, this eight-year-old daughter, you know, looks to where her father's pointing uh, and loudly rolls her eyes and says to her dad, Dad, that old lady isn't the queen. She's not even wearing a crown. <laughs> it's a great story, isn't it? You can just imagine the father at that moment, you know, like, no, that's, that's the queen, darling. Um, but the daughter in that moment, she's totally missed the royalty and the, and the supreme authority in her midst, hasn't she? She's responded wrongly or maybe ignorantly to the greatness in her midst. She just looked at the outward appearance and misjudged the queen. I wonder, have you, have you ever done that? Have you looked at someone and thought, who are they? They're not important. I don't have time for them. I don't need them in my life. I know, I, I know I've definitely done this many times. And I reckon that kind of attitude is how many people respond to Jesus. Many people misjudge him. They think, you know, he was just a great teacher or someone who, like, inspired a social movement. Some people think he's a prophet, while others just think, yeah, he's, he's someone not worth looking into. And so my question for you today is, how do you respond to Jesus? Have you responded like the girl did to the queen? Have you judged him without even looking into who he is? Do you think, you know, you kind of have him figured out? Well, as I said before, over the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about foundations, 
foundations to, to build your life on, and foundations to really set your year up well. And we've looked at two weeks, and we've seen two key foundations. Uh, the first one was that God made it. God made everything. He made us to be in relationship with him. And then last week we saw that we broke it. We broke it by turning our back on God, rejecting him as the loving creator and ruler. And so today we're thinking about that next piece, and that's Jesus saves. And to do that, we're going to look at the passage that we had read, and from that passage we'll see how Jesus can save. And so we're going to think of this by unpacking three points. The first one is Jesus can save because he's God. I will see Jesus can save because he humbled himself and became a man. And then thirdly, we see Jesus can save because he died for us. So firstly, Jesus can save because he's God. Have a look there with me again at at, at verse 6. It says this, Who, it's referring to Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You get your head around that, that, the first half of that sentence? It's saying Jesus, who is the very nature God. It's saying Jesus is God. Other passages in the Bible put it like this. They say, they say Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Or he is the first and last, the one who is alive forever and ever. Many people throughout history have argued who Jesus is. Just a great teacher, a prophet, a guru. But right here, this, the author of this letter is saying, no, Jesus is none of those things. This verse is saying Jesus is God. He's equal with God. The same God who made the world. The one who made the heavens, the solar system. The one who's beyond our time, our space, our imagination. Jesus is that God. And we, and we see the, the divinity of Jesus in like the things he did when he was on earth. He did things only God could do. You know, he, he calmed raging storms. He walked on water. He fed thousands with just a few scraps of food. He healed the sick. He healed lepers. He made blind men see. He cast out demons. See, Jesus showed that actually there's no part of this creation he doesn't have authority over. It's because Jesus is God. And you, and you know, when people saw Jesus doing these things, there, there were kind of two common responses. People either were like, wow, that's incredible. Or they were afraid. They were afraid because they're like, no human could do what he's doing. See, the, the picture that sometimes we have of Jesus, you know, meek and mild, sitting in a field with, you know, the long glowing locks just patting a sheep, that is so far from who he is. He is more grand and more real and far greater than any conception we might conjure up in our minds. Jesus is God. And it's, it's because Jesus is God, he can save us. He's, he's powerful to create the world. And so he's powerful to fix this broken world. Remember, God made it. He made it good, without pain, without grief, without, without sorrow, but, but we broke it. And now Jesus can save the world because he's God. 
And the, the, the second thing this passage draws our attention to is that Jesus can say because he humbled himself and became a man. Have a look there at the end of verse 6 with me. It says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This verse gives us a, an insight into the very heart and nature of God. You see, Jesus did not grasp hold of things for, for selfish or personal grain. Rather, he, he embodies humility, service. Jesus isn't a, you know, a judgmental or, or vindictive tyrant up in the skies, you know, like using his power at, at humanity's disposal. No, he's humble. Have a look there at, at verse 7. It goes on to say this. It says, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Jesus became a man like us. One pastor illustrates the point uh, quite beautifully by saying this. He says, The Almighty swaddled himself with vulnerability. The infinite closed himself with finitude. The author of life put himself on the page. Jesus becoming a man is, is truly incredible. Just, just think about it for a moment. God, the God who made everything, who spoke the cosmos into existence, came down and inhabited one of these broken and deteriorating bodies. See, Jesus knows what it's like to, to feel weary or tired at the end of a long day's work. You know, Jesus would have had calluses on his feet from all the long journeys on feet, foot he, take, he took. Jesus knew the pain and grief of seeing loved ones die. But this same man spun the stars into motion. He made mountains rise out of nothing. But Jesus put aside his heavenly nature and humbled himself and took on flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, the, the, the king of Jordan, uh, he's the eighth richest royal in the world. Uh, he has a net worth of $12 billion. Uh, and this guy lives in a, a, a lavish palace. The, the palace's name is actually called the Rahadan. And in Arabic, that literally means comfortable. Uh, this guy, you know, he lives a life of luxury. He lives by himself in solitude and comfort. But, uh, you know, recently this guy, he, he's been going amongst, you know, uh, just average people wanting to get a, a feel for what life is like in his kingdom. And so one instance, he went to a local hospital and sat in the, in the waiting room there. And he was chatting to, you know, the patients to see how the service was. Um, and, you know, he went in, he was wearing, you know, he wasn't wearing his royal clothes. He put on a, a fake shabby beard and just chatted with them. Eventually, you know, the, he had to leave, got other things to go to. And uh, it was only then that the people in the hospital realised who'd been sitting there. It was only when they heard the motorcade leaving the hospital that they realised the greatness in their midst. And then the irony is they hadn't recognised him, even though in every room of the hospital there's a portrait of the king hung on the wall. See, the king... He'd broken into their midst. He'd made contact with them, but the people, they missed it. Jesus, the creator and maker of the world, God came into the world, came to walk amongst his creation. 
However, he, he, you know, he didn't just come to, to sit in hospital waiting rooms and, and chat with patients. No, he came to save this broken world. He got his hands dirty in the mess of the world. You know, he, he, he came and healed people. He went to weddings. He, he worked an honest job. He did more than just dwell amongst his creation secretly. He humbled himself and became a man like us. He experienced life like us. But this, this idea of Jesus humbling himself and becoming a man and dwelling in his creation, it's, it's more than actually astonishing. It's, it's outrageous. It's, it's scandalous that God would become a man. God, who is above all pure and perfect, would come and live amongst a world that is broken and is rebelled against him. You see, God, who is perfectly pure and set apart from his creation, can't come into contact with a broken and unclean and messy world. It's just not possible. Anytime in the Bible that a holy God comes into contact with people who've rebelled against him, it only ever ends badly for those people. See, holiness cannot come into contact with broken and rebellious people. That's why... This is this is just so scandalous. Jesus, the perfect one, humbled himself and came into a broken world. A world that had hated and turned their back on him from the very beginning. Remember, God made the world, but we broke it. We broke it by turning our backs on him. We haven't wanted anything to do with him. But Jesus came to save and he can save. He can save us because he became fully human like us. Jesus can save because he took on flesh. He can save humanity because he was fully human. And that brings us to our third point. And that is that Jesus can save because he died for us. Have a, have a look at verse 8 there. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus can save us because he humbled himself to die for us. Jesus, who was completely innocent and perfect, came into the world for this very purpose, to die on the cross. God, as a man, humbled himself not just at becoming a man, but he humbled himself all the way to death. Jesus, who should have been praised as the creator and king of the world, was hung on a tree, the very tree that he created. Can you, can you fully comprehend that? God, as a man, on a cross, dying. It's unbelievable. And what we're talking about here is death. Death is, is tragic and terrible, isn't it? It's something none of us want to come face to face with. We don't often like to even talk about death. Even the, the ways we talk about it, we kind of sanitize it. You know, you think about if someone's died, we say things like, oh, they're resting in peace or they're in a better place. For us, death happens, you know, in the, in the comfort of a hospital room, you know, with loved ones around us. Death doesn't happen 
by public execution. But there's no disguising Jesus' death. It was a horrific and grotty spectacle. Jesus being crucified was a shameful and painful way to die. Do you know what it would have been like to die on a cross? You see, the the Romans who, who did this, they were experts in pain and torture. They didn't design the cross just to kill people quickly. They did it because they wanted them to suffer. And so Jesus, as God, dying on a cross, it begs the question, why? Why would he face this terrible fate? Well, it wasn't because he was guilty. He was innocent and perfect. He died upon the cross for you and for me. He died to save us. Do you realize that it actually should have been you and me on that cross? Our rejection of God as the one who made the world, the one who made us, our rejection of him is actually deserving of judgment and death. We broke his world. But Jesus on the cross took on himself the death and judgment we so rightly deserved. He saved us from that fate by dying in our place. It's truly, it's truly incredible that Jesus, the perfect Holy One, gave his life in our place. You see, as, as Jesus hung there on the cross, you realize he could have got down at any moment. He could have stopped the agony. He was God. But he hung there for us. Jesus' nail-pierced hands stretched out on that tree were to save you and me from the death and judgment we deserved. Jesus, the King and the Creator of the world, came into this world not to just check out the problems of the world, but to fix the greatest problem. That was our rejection of God. One theologian named Don Carson, he, he puts it like this. He says, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us a saviour. John uh, chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I wonder what things uh, do you trust in to save you? What things do you rely on or build your life on that you think will save you? Is it, is it your good health? Do you spend time and energy staying fit and healthy, thinking, that's going to save me, that's going to protect me from tough times or any health scares? Or is it, is it your skills and expertise in your job? Do you think, I'm going you know, to keep upskilling myself, gaining expertise and experience, so that no matter what happens, I'll be so valuable, so instrumental to my team, that I'll be safe, I'll be safe from any unemployment? Or maybe it's just simply your financial security. 
Do you work harder and longer to gain more money and then you save it and invest it? So no matter what lies ahead, your wealth will save you. You know, even the way we talk about it, you know, having a, a safety net. What is it that you trust to save you? Well, if you trust in any of those things to save you, they're never going to be able to. They might provide a sense of security for a time, but if your saviour is anything or anyone less than Jesus, they'll never be able to save you from your state before God. And that's what's beautiful about Jesus. You don't need to search anywhere else. You don't need to expend time and energy into things that can just be stripped away at any moment. Jesus, God as a man, came to save you by dying for you. And so the question remains, how do you respond to Jesus? Have you realized the greatness in your midst? Have you realized the death Jesus died for you? How should we respond to our Savior Jesus? Well, I reckon there's only one way to respond to being saved from death and judgment. That's, that's to say thank you to Jesus. It's to say thank you, Jesus, for the choice you made, the humility you showed, the sacrifice you paid. We should respond in love and gratitude to him because he saved us. We should run to the feet of the cross and receive life. We should run to the feet of the cross and stop rejecting God. We should run to the feet of the cross because the king of the world died for you. He died to fix the mess and brokenness so we don't have to. When you run to the feet of the cross, you can actually be so assured that you don't face death and judgment. Jesus has paid it for you. You've been saved from a life sentence. It's incredible. Let me read you a poem that I found which um, has really captivated my thoughts as I've been thinking about how Jesus saves. So I think it'll come up on the screen. It says this, To find a shelter in the palm of God, you need to inhabit its fissures, the life and death lines, the cracked skin, the calluses thickened from long labour with wood, the generosity of healing touch, the skill for all that creation, all those generous cures, but deepest, the open bloody hole in which your wrong is drowned. Have you found shelter in the hands of Jesus? The very hands that laboured with wood, the hands that skillfully created the world, and those same hands that were bloodied and pierced for you, to save you. So how have you responded to Jesus? Well, if you want to run to the feet of the cross this morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, for saving me, you can please, please join me as I pray these words right now. Let's pray. God, today I want to come before you and say sorry. Sorry for turning my back on you time and time again.
Sorry for trying to rule your world rather than you. But thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death to save us. Thank you for his nail-pierced hands and the blood he shed to give me life. Help me daily remember and forever be grateful for the price he paid to save me. In his precious name we pray. Amen.